Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise.
D-Day took place 50 years ago. This is one of the uh, new copies, latest copies of Newsweek. And it talks here about war and remembrance. There is a, a brave old American soldier who fought in Normandy uh, 50 years ago. This world has seen some tremendous battles. And today we're going to talk about the greatest battle of them all. D-Day 50 years ago, of course, was an important battle in the history of the world because it's then the Allies, mainly the British and the American forces, left England where they had got together. They crossed over the British Channel and they invaded France to put down tyranny, to get the world safe for democracy and to purge Germany of the Nazis. And so D-Day was something for freedom and liberty and to rid the world, they hoped, of tyranny. During D-Day, there, uh, there were tremendous uh, casualties. There was a great deal of pain and suffering, many, many deaths as people made uh, the sacrifice of their lives for what they believed in. And so today, we think of D-Day 50 years ago we think of their courage and we think of their sacrifice and we remember them and we honor them. It was a great battle. This week uh, on television, one night, I looked at the Battle of, of Gettysburg. What a battle that was. What carnage when the South made their final bid under General Lee the most beloved general in the history of the United States. We think once again of words like liberty and freedom and slavery because that battle was fought not only over the rights of individual states to break away from the Union, it was fought over the idea that it was wrong for human beings to have slaves. On television in this miniseries, you see this tremendous charge of the South. They showed tremendous courage. But we believe it was the will of God that the charge was broken. Gettysburg was a great battle. Also, some time ago, I was watching a documentary on PBS, I think it was, or the Discovery Channel or A&E, I'm not sure, but it was about Napoleon when he invaded Russia. What a foolish thing to do, to go to Russia. He marched his French soldiers, the Grand Army, more than a thousand miles, Steve, and they actually uh, got there to Moscow in, in that area. They went so far. But then, of course, they had to retreat. And 400,000 soldiers marched into Russia, and 10,000 made it out. It's a tremendous battle, the battle that the Russians gave to the French. And then there was the battle, too, of course, of Napoleon against Wellington at Waterloo. That was a great battle. When at the climax of the day, when the French thought they still had a chance of beating the British, they put into the field 
the old guard, those men who never turned back in the face of battle. But as they came under the withering fire of the British, for the first time in history, the old guard faltered and then turned and stalked from the field with some dignity. It's a tremendous battle. Thousands and thousands died. And once again, people would say it was a battle for freedom, for democracy. But I want to tell you today, my friend, that the greatest battle in the history of the world is, is not the battle that happened on D-Day 50 days ago. Neither was it the battle of Gettysburg. Neither was it the battle of Waterloo. Neither was it the battle of the French in Russia. It is the great battle between Christ and Satan. It is the great battle that goes on in the world for the hearts and the souls of men, which is described in the book of Revelation, which is a book of conflict. And I'd like you today, please, to take your Bible and to turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. This also describes a battle for freedom, for life, and for liberty. And I'd be pleased today if you would turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12, and we will continue our series today on the book of Revelation that we have entitled Crisis, Crisis. And so today, I would like you please to, to turn with me to Revelation chapter 12, and we will consider these verses today. And this chapter is on the great battle between Christ and Satan. Perhaps more correctly, we would call it the great war between Christ and Satan. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1, and I'm glad to see so many Bibles, and I'm glad to see that you're turning the text to the text. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. Now, of course, all of this is symbolic. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland or a crown of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. And then we should read, I think, the next two verses. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So here is a symbolic picture of the church as the church brings Jesus into the world and is confronted by the great power of the Antichrist. In Scripture, my friend, you cannot escape conflict. Somebody called me the other day from... Thousand Oaks, and at the end of the conversation said to me, well, have a fun day. I'm going to have a fun day when I get to heaven. 
But Christians are not called to have fun days because the Bible tells us that we are in the midst of a tremendous war. Could you imagine, Beverly, those soldiers coming off the landing barges off the coast of Normandy and their commanding general saying to them, well, guys, have a fun day. My friend, I'm not calling you to have a fun day because one day we're going to have that in the kingdom of God. But the Bible tells us that until Jesus comes, we are in the midst of a tremendous war. And the Bible tells me that in Bible prophecy, a woman is symbolic of the church of God. Well, a bad woman is symbolic of the church of Satan because he has a church too. But a, a good woman is symbolic of the church of God. I want you to come to Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 2, please. And I'm glad that you're turning to these passages. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 2. I believe it is. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 2. And I should say right now how glad I am to have our viewers on 3ABN joining us. Uh, we love Danny and Linda Shelton and the, and the 3ABN people and we express to them our love today and we're glad that they've joined us with the rest of the viewers. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 2, God says, I've likened the daughter of Zion, which is a biblical term for the church or Israel, I've likened the daughter of Zion, or Israel, to a lovely and delicate woman. And so, when you read in Revelation chapter 12 about a woman who is clothed with the sun, the sun represents the son of righteousness, or God, God's righteousness. And so here is the true church, and she stands upon the moon, and she has a crown of 12 stars, which is symbolic of the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles. This is a picture of the true church of God down through the ages in the Old Testament as well as in the New. And the Bible tells us that here the people of God are bringing into the world the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the man-child who is destined to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Now, please come back to Revelation chapter 12, and I want you to notice those verses again. And remember today, we are studying the Bible. Revelation 12 and verse 1, I want you to notice it again. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman, or the church, clothed with the sun, the sun of righteousness, God's righteousness, with the moon under her feet, on ahead a garland of 12 stars, then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. It's important for every person here today to understand what the church is. We often use the term church in a very loose and an unbiblical way. We say, Look at that beautiful church. Now, that is simply a figure of speech today. But it's not a biblical term. Or we say, the church came together. And that may be so, but not necessarily. What is the church? What is not the church? 
The church is never in the word of God a building or an institution. But the church in the Bible is composed of every person in the world, irrespective of his background or who he is, every person who relies upon Jesus Christ for salvation and who follows the Bible. Such a person is a member of the church. And the Bible here is describing the true church. The church is never a set of committees or a hierarchy or a, or a structure or any of those things. The church is composed of people and people who rely upon God for salvation. And God raised up the church basically for one purpose, to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And so we don't make any apology when we stand before you and we tell you, every dollar we get we're going to spend it on soul winning. And we're glad to tell you that we've spent all this money in Russia. We hope we can get a lot more than we can spend in Russia. We hope that God is going to give us millions so we can put that work into the church, into the preaching of the everlasting gospel and the salvation of the lost. And so I want you to know this because many of us do not understand this. The church is not a structure, a set of buildings, a hierarchy, a number of committees. The church is composed of all those who rely upon Christ for salvation and who obey his word. Ellen White made the statement, enfeebled and defective though she is, the church is the one object upon which a Christ bestows his supreme regard. And people say, uh, what is she talking about? She is talking about the people of God. She is talking about those people uh, who rely upon Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And I would want, my friend, to be a member of the true church because their names are written in heaven. Did you know this, that during the Dark Ages, the official church ex excommunicated those people uh, who were perceived by the official church to be heretics because they were uh, troublemakers and they were dissenters. And so the official church cast out and excommunicated those people whom they considered to be troublemakers. But my friend, the church can never, the organized church, the visible church, can never take your name off the roll in heaven. If you're right with God, the organized church can never touch the invisible church. You need to understand that. That will give you a little bit of courage. That will give you a little bit of backbone. I meet so many Christians who are terrified by the structure of the church. And they think that the structure of the church can throw them into hell. My friend, those people are not really converted on the truth about the church. And so here is the church. And she brings into the world the Lord Jesus. And the great red dragon is standing before her. And the great red dragon, Brenda, represents the Antichrist or Satan. And Satan works through earthly powers. And when Jesus was born, it was the great Roman Empire.
And so when Jesus comes into the world, Satan destroys to, to blot out the life of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and our Redeemer. Now, we should read on a little further, because these verses are very important. I want you to notice verse 4, because here we have a flashback that tells us how the war began. His tail, the tail of the dragon, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them down to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. This talks about the first great apostate. Uh, we're not going to take time today, but if you read in Ezekiel, and if you read in Isaiah, particularly Isaiah chapter 14, you read there the story of the great apostasy and how this innocent, beautiful, exquisite angel whose name was Lucifer because of pride became the devil. So the Bible talks about a real devil, and the Bible tells us that through his insidious machinations and, and all his sophistry, he destroyed one-third of the angels of heaven, possibly tens of millions, maybe billions and billions of angels were deceived by him and joined with him in rebellion against God. And the Bible says they were cast down to this earth, and this earth became a planet in rebellion. And the Bible teaches that we are in the midst of a tremendous war that started back there in heaven and which is spread to this earth. And the Bible tells us that the solemn truth is this, that our first parents, Adam and Eve, were deceived by Lucifer and they sold their birthright and sin and death came into this world and every one of us is infected and affected. And so here we have Jesus coming into the world and Jesus is born and Satan tries to destroy him. I want you please now to read on a little further because we are told that Jesus is delivered. Uh, verse 5, And she bore a male child, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child, ch her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Uh, one of the greatest truths, of course, perhaps not one of the greatest truths, and not perhaps it is the greatest truth, is that Jesus, the creator God, the one who made the universe, actually became a man, became a baby, and was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and came down to this earth, was the one sinless man this world has ever seen, persecuted and attacked by Lucifer. I want to tell you this today, if you think you're having it hard, read through the Gospels, read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read there the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a story of a great warfare. Satan hounded Jesus every hour of his life. He was attacked by people. He was persecuted by the church, by the state church, by the Jewish leaders, and then Jesus was placed on the cross and he was crucified. That's what the world did to Jesus. But the Bible tells us 
that he was caught up to the Father and to his throne. It is an amazing truth that when Jesus was placed on the cross and his disciples believed that Jesus was defeated and the world believed that Jesus was defeated, all heaven was shouting hallelujah because the death of Jesus was the greatest victory in the history of the universe. Because when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, Jesus issued a death warrant for the Antichrist for Lucifer. And Jesus guaranteed the salvation of every person who truly will believe in him. And so the Bible tells us that even though Jesus was hounded unto death, and even though he was persecuted, the Bible tells us there was a glorious victory. Notice verse 5 again, my dear friend. Verse 5 again. The Bible says, And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And so after the, the apparent tragedy of the death of Jesus, which in fact was the greatest victory, the Bible tells us that Jesus was caught up to God and to his throne. And then notice what happens. Uh, verse 6. Verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness. That means a place of sorrow and a place of persecution. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. This now gives you a picture of the persecution of the true church. And historically, this was fulfilled in the Dark Ages during the 1260 years of papal persecution when the true church of Jesus was, was persecuted by the great state-organized church and the church had to flee, flee into the wilderness and there the church was persecuted for a period of of 1,260 years. And Satan, during that time, did everything he could to wipe the name of God from the, from the hearts of men and women. And there was a time in Europe, my friend, when the light of truth almost went out. A number of years ago, I think you've had this experience, Steve. I had a, had a marvelous experience when I went to Europe for the first time and I went to the north of Italy and I went up to the, the valleys where the Waldenses once used to live. They still live there, but basically the Waldenses have become atheists and Marxists. They've given up the faith. It's a tragedy. Let none of us think just because we're called, it means that we're going to be saved. You've got to continue to the end. And the Waldenses were called by God and they were the light of the world. In the dark ages, they were the true church. In the dark ages, they were the ones who were the people of God. They were, they, they were the woman. They were the woman. And uh, I went up there into the Waldensian Valleys, and I visited those spots that were crimson with the blood of God's people. God's people worshipped up there, many of those people were Sabbath keepers. We know this in the writings of their accusers. And I have gone into those ancient churches 
uh, and I've seen the writing written in their ancient language, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I've also gone up there to the cave in the Waldensian Valleys, uh, where one had to get down on, on hand and knees and climb through a tiny little uh, opening in the rocks and go into a cave, I guess almost as big as this church. I think it's called the Gisa Dalatana. I'm probably saying it wrong, but you folks don't know any different anyhow. So I went into this cave, and history tells us that on this ca in this cave, on a Sabbath day, the Waldenses, or some of them, because there were so many of them, they were in this cave worshiping God and reading from the Bible. And the Pope sent up there an army, and that army uh, couldn't find them, but they discovered later on they were in that cave, and they built a fire at the opening of that cave, and they sent the smoke into that cave, and all of those people were suffocated. My friend, they didn't have a fun day. They're going to get that in the kingdom. But their salvation is assured. This was the church in the wilderness. And in those days, I want to tell you folks something, it took a lot to be a Christian. It's just as hard to be a Christian today. But the temptations are different. But it's just as hard to be a Christian today. And God's church, in a sense, is still in the wilderness. And God's church is still getting persecuted. When I was up there, Steve, in the Waldensian Valleys, I also went to the College of the Barbs. It made, oh, it made such an impression upon me. There was a, a big stone table. And on the table there was a big book. There was only one book they studied from. It was the Bible. They had the Bible in their own tongue long before Martin Luther, long before the Protestant Reformation. And there was this big book, the Bible. And then it had a list of their names. And they were martyrs because the barbs, that's what they were pastors, they were sent out two by two to go into the valleys down into Italy and they would go out there two by two and they would preach the everlasting gospel and thousands of them were burned at the stake for Jesus. Took a lot of courage in those days to be a Christian friend. When the church was in the wilderness and the church was not popular, it was hard for Jesus when he was here. He was persecuted, he was hated, he was hounded, and he was crucified, but he, he was raised from the dead. And the Bible tells us that then the dragon, when he couldn't overthrow Jesus, he turned all his animosity upon the woman, upon the church. I guess my favorite preacher is the man who wrote this book, Feed My Sheep. The Dean of Adventist Preachers, HMS Richards, Oh, my friend, what a Christ-centered preacher. What a man of God. You ought to read about his starting the voice of prophecy, the problems he had. Do you think we've had problems? Just join the club, friend. HMS Riches was persecuted by his own church. They made life hard for him, made it difficult. The voice of prophecy was born in suffering. God bless the voice of prophecy. And in this book, I read this book once a year, 
just to keep up my courage. And I love his writings. I love his sermons. I heard him preach at Avondale College 30 years ago. I, I didn't know who HMS Richards was, but he came to Avondale College. Uh, I was about to graduate. When he got up to preach, he seemed to have his arms in the wrong place. He didn't seem to be very, what should I say, didn't seem to be over-dignified with how he used his arms. He was a tall, lanky man. Can I tell you folks something? It's the only sermon I remember from 30 years ago. He preached on the unsparing God. If God didn't spare the angels that sinned, if he didn't spare the antediluvians, if he didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah, he was quoting from Peter. Then he came over from Romans chapter 8, and God didn't even spare his own son, the unsparing God. Then he told the story of his conversion. It just blessed me tremendously. May God raise up other men like this man. And in his book, Feed My Sheep, he tells the story of bloody uh, Claver House. And he tells how the best preachers in the history of the world came from Scotland. Did you know that, Steve? The best preachers, he says, came from Scotland. And there was a preacher up in the mountains being fed by some Scotch Christians and Claver House... A Roman Catholic was out to destroy them, all of the preachers, during the Dark Ages. Terrible things happened. They put to death a hundred million people. And Claverhouse found this little Scotch boy, and he said, We know where you've been, Jamie. Tell us where he is and take us to him, they demanded, because Jamie was taking up some food to, 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 to feed this, this preacher, hiding up in the caves in Scotland. Take us to him. We know where you've been, Jamie, said Claverhouse, bloody Claverhouse. Little Jamie said, I canna, I canna. Come on now, tell us, or we'll kill you. I canna. That's old Scottish backbone. I tell you, finally Claverhouse himself grabbed the boy by the scruff of his neck, pushed his horse to the edge of the cliff, and held the boy out over the rocks. Now he said, Jamie, tell us where he is and take us to him, or I'll drop you. The little boy turned around, looked at him, and said, I cannot. I'll drop you, and it's 100 feet down, said Claverhouse. Then the little fellow, still looking at him with a tear in the corner of his eye, said, I cannot, and I will not. I cannot, and I will not. His mother had told him not to tell. My friend, that's what we need backbone like that. I cannot and I will not. Then he, f he finished his sentence by saying, it's not as deep as hell. Claverhouse said, it's a hundred feet down there. The little boy said, I cannot and I will not, and it's not as deep as hell. One hundred feet down, but not as deep as hell. And that's good Scottish doctrine too. That was the church in the wilderness. I don't know if you folks understand our glorious heritage. To be a member of the true church of God, it's not joining a social club. A lot of us come to church because we think it's a social club. My friend, if we think that, it's because we've never seen the truth in the Bible. The Bible tells us that we are in the midst of a battle and there's going to be no release until Jesus comes. So get ready for it. 
but the Bible tells us one day we're going to have a fun day. It's not going to be fun now, but it's going to be a fun day when Jesus comes. Would you read on with me, friend? Would you read on with me? Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 7. Now here we have the great war where it all started. And war broke out in heaven. You think, my friend, it started in heaven. War broke out in heaven. Michael, that's Jesus, and his angels fought against the dragon. I said to Beverly last night, how do you think they fought? Well, she said, I, I think they just argued. And the dragon and his angels fought. Maybe that was enough. They just, maybe they had a great debate. The problem is I've seen Star Wars, and I had that sort of background. And the dragon fought against, uh, the angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But notice what it says. But they did not prevail. Going to come back to that. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now the Bible says, and this gives to this timid heart a lot of courage, the Bible says that in this tremendous battle with the devil, the Bible says, talking about the devil and his angels, they did not prevail. Did you hear that? They did not prevail. They were beaten. Now, I want you to know this. If, if I am on God's side, if I am right with God, there's not a thing I need to be concerned about because they did not and they will not prevail. That's what the Bible says. They did not prevail. In fact, for a Christian, every apparent defeat is a victory. I want you to hear this. You may think sometimes when, we, when we're doing the will of God and we have setbacks and we think those things are defeats, that's because we're just a little dumb and we don't see things as God sees them. Because for a Christian, when he's in the will of God, every apparent defeat is a victory. The Bible says they did not prevail. We are to see gain in the loss of all things and success and the wisdom of God in apparent failure. So the Bible says they did not prevail. And I want you to know that if you have your life in the hands of God, Satan and his hosts will not prevail against you. You have the victory because Jesus did it on the cross. Jesus got the victory. Now read on the next verse, please. That encourages me, that part that says, they did not prevail. Now verse 10 to 12 is the high point. Verses 10 to 12 uh, represent the high point of the whole book of Revelation. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. When do you think this cry went out, friend? Was this before they created the earth and the devil was tossed out there? When do you think the cry went out around the universe, now has come salvation? When Jesus hung his head and died. When it seemed an ignominious defeat. When Jesus was dying on the cross and the kingdom of God apparently lay in ruins, 
around the universe came the shout, now has come salvation. And so, do not see things from a human viewpoint. See them from God's viewpoint. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That is the secret of victory. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Listen carefully to this. This is hard for our little minds to perceive and take in. The Bible teaches my beloved friend that the victory has already been won. I want you to know this. The victory has already been won. Now has come salvation. We have it not just in the future, but we have it today. Now has come salvation, is the word of God. We have the victory now. And the Bible says, the devil has great wrath. And the Bible tells us why he's got great wrath. The Bible says he has great wrath because he's got a short time. Now, this is not an easy message for you to believe today. The Bible tells me that his wrath increases as his time decreases. And so as we come towards the end of time, the wrath of the great dragon is going to increase and the war is going to intensify. I want to say to you, don't expect it's going to be easier don't expect the conflict is going to diminish. The Bible says it is going to intensify because his wrath increases. Because he knows he has a short time. Can I tell you the good news about the wrath of the devil? The greater the wrath that he shows, it is an indication that he knows that time is running out. So when you see his wrath at the worst, you know that the coming of Jesus is nearer than when we first believed. Because he has but a short time. What should a Christian expect? He should expect... Now, you know, this goes against the prosperity gospel, doesn't it? That we're all going to be ruptured home before the time of trouble. What should a Christian expect? He should expect trouble and persecution and great grace. Because God's grace increases as Satan's wrath reaches new heights. And so, the will of God will never take me where the grace of God cannot keep me. And the Bible says that the church of God in the last days is going to feel the intensified wrath of the Antichrist. But the Bible says that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, and God will see his people through because the victory has been won. And notice verse 13 and onwards. As you come to the climax of this marvelous and this wonderful chapter, Revelation 12, verse 13 and onwards. 
Now when the Satan saw that he'd been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman or the church who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face or the presence of the serpent which is the same as the 1260 years. So the serpent spewed water out of his, uh, out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So the Bible says that the wrath of the dragon is directed against the church of the living God, and historically these verses were fulfilled in the dark ages, but I believe that their greatest fulfillment is still to come. And I believe that this points to the last great time of trouble, trouble when the Antichrist will come again against the church. But then you come to verse 17 that talks about the last church, which we call, and rightly so, the remnant church. Would you please notice this? Revelation chapter 12, dear friends, and verse 17. The Bible says, And the dragon, or Satan, was enraged with the woman, or the church, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. That's the last church. It'll feel the wrath of persecution, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Listen carefully to me. The remnant church, the true remnant church, is born during the stress of persecution of the last days. That's important. The remnant church, the offspring, is a group of Christians from every nation, kindred, tribe, and, and people from everywhere around the world. It is a church that is born under the fearful stress of persecution. So the remnant church is first and foremost not a popular church, it is a persecuted church. Now remember this, because this may re need some revision in our thinking. The remnant church is a church that is a latter-day church, and it is born in the fire of persecution. And the Bible says, the remnant church that loves God and that is faithful to Jesus is a commandment-keeping church. Now, I want you, please, for a moment, to think about this. The remnant church of the last days is not a church that believes and follows the doctrine of cheap grace, but is a church that believes in the keeping of the commandments of God, including the Sabbath. I believe that the Sabbath is tremendously important. I believe the Sabbath is so important that we ought to set it aside as the Lord's Day and the Holy Day, and that we ought to keep the Sabbath. I believe that Moody was right when Moody said, and he was the great Baptist a preacher, Moody said, when the Sabbath goes, the family goes, and when the family goes, society goes, and when society goes, the nation goes. There's an article on the latest Reader's Digest that I'm going to refer to just a little this afternoon. 
that says, is the situation hopeless? And it talks about the situation here in these great United States. And it talks about the fearful moral depravity that has come upon us as a nation where we glorify criminals and that a murderer is a hero. Talks about these things. It says, what has happened to us as a nation? I can tell you what happened to us as a nation. We gave up the Sabbath. And when the keeping of the Sabbath goes, the family goes, and society goes, and the nation goes, and there's only one hope for America, only one hope for us, and that is return to God. Return to God. Return to the Bible. Return to the Bible Sabbath. Return to the family. Return to family worship. That's our only hope, my friend. I believe the Sabbath is sacred. I do not believe that we ought to travel on the Sabbath for our own pleasure. I do not believe we ought to go to the airport on the Sabbath and get a plane to some distant place for a vacation. That's not Sabbath keeping, that's Sabbath breaking. I don't believe that we ought to keep the Sabbath at home in the bed, sleeping. That's not Sabbath keeping, that's Sabbath breaking. I believe that there needs to be a tremendous rebirth and revival in Sabbath keeping. I believe that. It's my conviction. I believe it. I believe that even Seventh-day Adventists have become terribly slack in the keeping of the Sabbath. I believe that. And I believe that because of our slackness in the keeping of the Sabbath, our spirituality has been eroded and the Spirit of God has left us. And I believe that we need to come back to the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I believe those things. It says that the remnant church has the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy refers to God's revelation of truth through the prophets, and we believe in a very special way through the ministry of Alan White in the last days. We believe those things. So, what do I get out of this chapter, Revelation chapter 12? It tells me this, there's a great battle going on. It's the big one. I'm involved. I've got nowhere I can run to. It's happening right here. I can't stop the world and get off. It's happening here. I'm a part of the great battle. But the Bible tells me that Jesus on the cross won the victory. And the battle has been won. That's what the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me if I truly belong to Jesus and if I'm a part of the true church, if I'm a part of the true woman, that I can expect the hot breath of the dragon just behind my ear. I can expect that. I will not expect that I will be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. I will not expect that life is going to be, hey, have a fun day. I don't believe that. I think that's very naive and a little immature and slightly childish and unrealistic. When a friend of ours said that to us, Beverly said, I wish that person would say it to the Russians who are hungry. 
because it's unrealistic. I will not have a fun day here. I will expect persecution and hardship, but I am assured that one day the kingdom and the dominion will come to this earth. And just as those old soldiers and marines went over there to Normandy, and they've been sitting down and they have been talking about the battle and how they got the victory, one day we are going to sit down on the everlasting hills and we're going to laugh and we're going to reminisce and we're going to think about the victory we got here through Jesus. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It won't be long because the devil is as mad as a hornet. He's crazy. He's so mad because he knows the time is running out. And so the wrath of the enemy is good news because it tells us that the kingdom of God is coming soon. This chapter also makes me do some serious thinking. It makes me want to decide to be a true Christian, not to be a nominal Christian. It makes me want to be a true Christian, to be part of the persecuted church and to be a member of the people who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So it's not a case of having God on my side. It's a case of my being on God's side. So I ask you today, each one of you, to decide to be on God's side. Would you kneel as we pray? Our Father in heaven, we just thank you for this amazing, wonderful chapter that tells us about the great battle, the battle between Christ and Satan, but we thank you that when it seemed an ignominious defeat, the cross was a glorious victory, that around the universe came the cry, now has come salvation. We thank you that on the cross, Jesus defeated Lucifer, and that we have been purchased and we are free and we are redeemed. We know, our Father, that even though we are free and purchased and redeemed, there is still a battle. And the old dragon is mad with the woman. He's mad with the church. And we're glad, our Father, that he's mad with us. Because if he's mad with us, you're glad with us. And today, our Father, we want to tell you that we want to be on your side. And we want to be numbered among the people who keep the commandments of God, have the faith of Jesus, and have the spirit of prophecy. Help us to be true to you, our Father. Come into our hearts, purge our hearts of indolence, insincerity, all traces of hypocrisy, and make us your people through and through. Bless this precious congregation today. In Jesus' name, amen.